Welcome to Storytime with Paul Doerr. This season of the podcast includes excerpts via live shows and in-studio recordings from my new book, I'm Leaving It, and other stories. Some of the stories are true and some are not. I'll let you figure it out. But they all hopefully have my trademark charm, wit, and profound wisdom. Purchase your copy of the entire book in paperback, ebook, or audiobook form at all major online booksellers. I also write a monthly newsletter that is both fun and insightful. To subscribe to the newsletter or for further information about the book, please visit pauldor.com. Today's story, My Place in the World. Number one. Walking along College Street at the border of the University of Toronto, I came to an intersection where the walking signal was a hand with the palm pointing at me. This means that I am supposed to stop. (laughs) As cars traveling in a perpendicular fashion have the right of way. The opposite of the palm is a profile of a person in mid-step. This means that the pedestrian has the right of way. Racing along College Street towards this particular intersection was an ambulance. When an ambulance or any other vehicle equipped with sirens, (laughs) such as a fire truck or police car, approach a red light, they are required to stop in order to ensure no other vehicles are moving through the intersection. This ambulance did just that and stopped at the red lights. All cars pulled to the side of the road and pedestrians stood frozen except for two people who started crossing the street in front of the ambulance. (laughs) The ambulance started to accelerate through the intersection and abruptly stopped when they saw the pedestrians. These two, these representatives of an evolved intellectual (laughs) capacity (laughs) and showcasing a unique display of a very specific and individualized sense of entitlement. pointed at the symbol of a profile of the person <laughs> in mid-step and angrily wagged their finger at the ambulance driver in a staggering act of defiance. Their finger wagging was letting the ambulance driver know who had the right of way. And this right of way was, not, was with these pedestrians who then crossed very slowly. In this scenario, 
they are the winners. <laughs> and the person in the back of the ambulance, <laughs> or the person they were racing to save, are the losers. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> For the past two months, I've been trying to eat better. Don't worry, I'm not going to be that person. <laughs> the one who just because he is leaning towards maybe, potentially, perhaps becoming vegetarian, that he has to tell you and everyone he knows about it. I'm also into exercising more, but I'm not looking to get huge or anything like that. I'm more focused on things like agility, long-distance running, <laughs> flexibility, cardio, <laughs> skills that might be needed in the wake of the recent political turmoil in the United States. <laughs> since it's winter and, I, and since I spent a fair amount of my life in arenas, I started skating at various outdoor rinks in city parks. On this particular day, I decided to take a quick drive to Dufferin Grove Park, which has two ice rinks side by side, one dedicated to public skating and the other to hockey skating. When I arrived at the park, the public skating rink was packed full of kids from the neighboring school. The hockey rink, on the other hand, had only two people on it, and they were barely moving, mostly chatting and every once in a while, slowly skating down the ice, passing a puck. I put on my figure skates and walked over to the hockey rink. I asked both people on the ice if they would mind if I joined them, since the public side was so busy. They said, of course, and with big welcoming smiles, I might add. And so the three of us, two hockey players and a figure skater, harmoniously and collectively work together to stay out of each other's way while accomplishing our individual fitness goals. <laughs> Almost finished with my skate, two employees from the park, a man and a woman, approached the hockey rink and yelled at me to come over. She was very mad and did most of the talking. Well, the man stood behind her with his arms crossed, repeating and highlighting certain aspects of her statements. <laughs> it's like they took one look at me from the office window and thought, this guy looks like trouble. <laughs> you can't be on the ice, she yelled at me. And he repeated, can't be on the ice. <laughs> this is for hockey players only, she continued. Only hockey players. <laughs> I asked the other two people here, I said, they were okay with it. This just made her more incensed. You must leave right now. Right now. <laughs> I tried to reason with her, okay, so let me get this straight. You want me to get off this rink that has two people on it and go over there that has about 20 kids on it 
even though we in this community center have worked quite community-like sharing this near empty rink. Now, technically they were right. However, I sensed behind her angry exterior a sense of fear. I figured that they had to keep people like me off the hockey rink. She was scared that there might be scores of figure skaters <laughs> hiding in the bushes, <laughs> waiting to take over their hockey rink, waiting for one of their own to sneak on the hockey side. And when the time was right, the lone figure skater, he or she, would give the appropriate signal, maybe a double axle. <laughs> Maybe a very sassy move. And from the bushes would emerge an army of figure skaters with our ice picks and weird skates and sequins and take, and take over the hockey rink. And the world as we know it would be changed forever. <laughs> I was snapped from this image with more yelling from her, you have to leave right now. So I left, but the joke is on her. The President of the United States believes climate change is a hoax created by China to make US manufacturing non-competitive. But climate change is very real. And the precious ice that makes up her hockey rink will be melting a little earlier every year. So I win. We all lose, but I win. Number three. I enjoy going to the theater because of the art, the writing, the acting, and so on. But really because plays start on time. <laughs> I've been to some music shows and other performing arts shows that start an hour or more after the official appointment. I understand this is so the audience can arrive and get settled and all that. The general excuse for the tardiness is, well, everyone knows the show starts late. The audience knows this, the show producers know this, we've created a system that fails on both sides. <laughs> this particular play I was at did not start on time. But the crowd seemed a bit older, and there were lots of steps. So I forgave this divergence from the norm. <laughs> One of the younger patrons found his seat a few rows in front of me, removed his jacket, and I noticed that he wore the same shirt as me. It's not like I noticed he was wearing the same white shirt as me. And <laughs> in fact, it was the shirt that I'm wearing right now. So as you can see, it's maybe a little bit of an unusual shirt. I just took note of this as more coincidence and moved my intention to the performance. Since the play was unnecessarily three hours long, <laughs> there were two intermissions. During the first intermission, there was a lineup for the washroom. 
As the line moved forward, I realized that the gentleman who had the same shirt as me was at one of the urinals. There were two urinals and a few stalls. All were taken. The man at the urinal beside this guy finished, and I was second in line. <laughs> and I felt okay about this situation because he would go there and then I would switch with the guy with the same shirt as me, <laughs> like we were a tag team. <laughs> but the guy in front of me wasn't moving to the now empty urinal. He was waiting for a stall. So I walked up to the urinal, and in a crowd of about 200 theater goers, two people who had the same weird shirt on were now peeing next to each other. <laughs> I was hoping that no one would say anything. <laughs> but there's a comedian in every crowd, and this other guy waiting in line said, hey, you two are wearing the same shirt. <laughs> so he, the guy with the same shirt finished, and as he turned, because he was doing the thing that a lot of men do in washrooms, is just not think anyone else is existing at that point. <laughs> and he turned and he saw me in the shirts, and he's confused. But he goes up to wash his hands, and the comedian repeats what was quickly becoming his catchphrase. <laughs> hey, you guys are wearing the same shirt. But this time he followed it up with, Hey, are you two related? <laughs> so, let's say this guy and I were related. <laughs> and let's say that we saw an advertisement for this play and really wanted to see it. We picked a date and bought tickets. And on the day of the show, I called this relative of mine maybe a brother or a cousin, and said, hey, you know what we should do? We should both wear that weird shirt we've got. Because I think it would be cool if we both walked around in public wearing the same thing. And then we can time it at the theater so we're peeing next to each other. <laughs> Just to see if we could blow someone's mind. <laughs> so I, I was washing my hands, and the comedian in line wanted to make sure that I had heard his earlier statement. <laughs> and he said, hey, you had the same shirt as that other guy. At the end of the show, I put my coat on and zipped it up. I located the position of the guy wearing the same shirt as me because now I had to manage my movements in relation to his. <laughs> I don't know who wins in this scenario. <laughs> Definitely wasn't me. <laughs> or the guy who wore the same shirt as me. He'll probably never wear this shirt again. <laughs> and I'm and I'm burning this fucking shirt after this night. <laughs> I think the winner here was the comedian in line who will probably be telling this story to people for years to come. <laughs> Thanks.
Riding my bike down Bloor Street West, I came to a red light at Dufferin. There was a lot of traffic, and I was at the front of a long line of bikers. Beside me was a man driving a white Toyota Corolla. Uh, I'd just like to pause here for a second and ask everybody a question. Whenever an emergency vehicle, <laughs> such as an ambulance or a fire truck, needs to get somewhere in a hurry, they turn on bright flashing lights and loud sirens. These are to let everyone around them know that they are in a real hurry and getting to their destination in a timely manner is important. We're all familiar with that, right? I need you to, yes? Okay, good. I heard the ambulance sirens from a long way back, and whether in my car or on my bike, whenever I hear sirens, I just pull to the side of the road to get out of the way. Since I was already by the side of the road, when the light turned green, I just stayed put. Behind me, the cars jockeyed for positions left and right, and as the ambulance approached the intersection, the only person that didn't move was the man in the white Corolla. He patiently waited at the red light, oblivious to anything happening around him. The ambulance couldn't fit around the white Corolla, and there it sat with sirens blaring and lights flashing. I knocked on the driver's window and yelled, you have to move. <laughs> but he just looked at me confusingly, and I pointed behind him, and then he sat up straight in shock, like the ambulance snuck up on him. <laughs> So in this case, the driver of the white Corolla misunderstood the very basic societal rule of getting out of the way of emergency vehicles. <laughs> Rules that are in place to help save the life of the person in the back of that ambulance or the person they are racing towards. For the past few months, I have been trying to exercise more. But I'm not looking to get huge or anything like that. <laughs> I'm more focused on things like agility, long-distance running, swimming, flexibility, skills that might be needed in the ongoing political turmoil in the United States. I started the swimming laps at my local community center pool. I've swam in a lot of pools over the years and noticed a pattern. Usually there are three lanes for laps, slow, medium, and fast. Men, and in my very scientific study, it's always men 100% of the time, <laughs> enter the pool and jump right into the fast lane. They may not be the fastest swimmers. In fact, a lot of the time, they are barely treading water. But in their mind, in their mind, they are 23-time Olympic gold medalist swimmer, Michael Phelps. Because of this phenomenon, the fast lane is usually loaded down with slow-moving men, leaving the other lanes open. Many times, five to seven men duke it out slowly in the fast lane, while I have a relaxing time in the medium lane. A couple of weeks ago, the pool was quite busy. Some of the men were forced to take the hit to their ego and do their laps in the medium lane. 
I jumped in and stood at the end of the pool, getting my goggles on. Beside me was an older lady doing some kind of water aerobics. A man was swimming towards us. He stopped and stood, raising his goggles. I recognized him as a Michael Phelps right away. He was very angry. Hey, you know, it's very difficult for us to do our laps when all of you are standing at the end of the pool in our way. You're not supposed to be standing there. It's against the rules. I looked at the older woman doing water aerobics, but she just shrugged her shoulders. As Michael Phelps stood yelling, there was another swimmer behind him approaching and not paying attention. Now, I could have alerted Michael Phelps <laughs> that this swimmer was coming up behind him. But then I thought, no, you know what? Perhaps this could be a teaching moment. Like the kids, like the kids. I'm all about the teaching. Um, but, and he kept yelling, it's really difficult for us to turn quickly when, and he didn't get a chance to finish. The other swimmer, the other determined swimmer somehow managed to bump into his legs, causing Michael Phelps, as though he was sitting on a dunk tank, to plunge completely underwater. The lesson here is don't be a jerk and try to impart, impart your own made-up rules onto others, or karma will come up behind you and knock you on your ass. I can be judgmental. But I, I, don't, I don't really suffer fools lightly, but I try to be patient. I live in a condo building, and my bike is held in a cage with everyone else's bike down in the parking garage. Residents register their bikes, and we each get a key for the padlock on the front gate. The fence and gate are made up of small mesh-like squares, like about this big. I was going out for one of my epic bike rides and knew that my tires needed pumping up. I brought my bike pump down into the cage and was inflating the tires when a man and woman approached. He might, in modern vernacular, be what one might call a bro. <laughs> he marched right up to me and said, do you have a tool that could loosen my seat? I'm not usually the kind of guy that you look at and say, now that guy, that guy is a person who carries an array of specialized tools. <laughs> when I replied in the negative, he said, I just asked because you had a bike pump, which, okay, I, I, sort of a stretch, but one that I understood. He left the bike cage, and I watched as he proceeded to close the gate and put the padlock on, essentially locking me inside. <laughs> Well, not essentially, like he was actually locking me inside. I said, no, please don't do that. And he said, why not? And I walked over to the gate and I said, you see, if you, if you lock the gate, I am locked inside and can't get out. He couldn't get this through his head and said, but you have a key. 
yes, but as you can see, I can't reach through and unlock the gate from the inside, and I stuck my fingers through to get at the lock. He continued, but it's the rules. I, ha I have to lock the gate. I looked to his companion for help. I assumed this was his girlfriend and that this display of confusion must have been a big part of their relationship. <laughs> she was distracted by her phone, ignoring both of us. She was just probably glad that someone else had to deal with him. <laughs> then I imagined him just leaving me there, <laughs> locked in the cage. This was the fall and people weren't biking as much. <laughs> the cage was in the parking lot and so cell phone reception was spotty. But there was so much more that I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> I wanted to meet that special someone and grow old with them. I had just finished writing a new book. I'm pretty sure that I don't want to have kids, but maybe, like everyone likes to tell me, I just haven't met the right person yet. Instead, my life would be cut short. It might be months until my body was found, all shriveled after slowly dying of starvation. But then he just shrugged and unlocked the gate and walked away. What I learned and what I hoped the bro learned was that in some situations, it's okay to break the rules. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Again, if you'd like to purchase a copy of I'm Leaving It or any of my other books, they are available at most online booksellers. The live performances were originally performed and recorded at the monthly storytelling event, Stories We Don't Tell. To learn more about Stories We Don't Tell, head over to storieswedonttell.org. For everything else, please visit pauldor.com.